2: Margaret, there's a fiend coming out. You stick that stick big lead, red light bulb on for a fiend. And his partner. Felix
1: Hopendor Stevenson. Poké Dog Man's going to take the bump for this. He's going to bump for it. I'm going to take the bump for you. I'm going to take the bump for you. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to Wrestling Daft. My name is Rab Florence coming here from my living room in the beautiful town of Helensburgh on the west coast of Scotland and I'm joined by the one and only uh, Mr. Grado. Who's
1: address in Addressing, baby, right next to where you get the boat to air you motherfucker. Will you be not taking it all? Well, I just read the news, breaking news coming out of the comedy universe in Scotland, the Royal, what is it, the RTS. What does that stand for Royal, Royal Television, Television Society? Right, it's going to haunt you One, so there's a uh, for the comedy section. I'll just read you the list of the nominees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the list of nominees are Who those Down? I was in that, uh, uh, Scott Squad. I'm in that, starring Gradle, and then the third one,
2: Burmiston, Bum- with me in it. The difference, obviously, being that I also wrote, or also wrote Burmiston as well.
1: Well, as. Um, make up my lines and all that when I'm doing Scott's Quarters. something am Ah, but you don't
2: make up your lines when you're doing two doors down, mate.
1: Aye, so. me. I was like, no, uh, too much. On, I'm in TNA this week. Hold on, hold on a minute though. I've got a question. About this you've not made an episode of
2: Burniston in how long, Rab?
1: No, <laughs> he was on it the new year or I It all? was
2: only just. It was just at the start of last year. Oh, I know. right. So then, if he wins, then
1: that is totally undeserved because he's only done one show. I've done. If you think about it, <laughs> six episodes of Turtles Down, the six episodes of Scars, that's twelve. So if he walks out just for putting out one show, I a fucking barney in the street, mate.
2: But Grado, think it this way, right? Think it this way. You you go back in the day, you go back in the day, right? And you could easily see that a uh, Van Hammer Faye, WCW, right, could wrestle every night for a week, right? And Ric okay. Flair just wrestles on the Friday night gotta <laughs> be Ric Flair that wins awards you know what
1: I mean you could it like that mate <laughs> <laughs> who do you think a better wrestler I mean Van Hammer you're a better <laughs>
2: wrestler mate mate you're a you, listen don't you put yourself down as a wrestler by the way
1: <laughs> right, I you said don't put yourself down as a wrestler as in you know If it asks me a question about a paper, don't wrestler.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on, boys. Uh, We get some correspondence for last episode. Now Ian has pointed out that uh, just Ian. We don't have his surname. Ian points out that Vince Vince Russell. I nearly said Vince Russell there. Vince big 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 Vinny Russell up there. Ian points out that Vince Russell and Jerry Adams look pretty much the same these days. Uh, I'll need to check that out.
1: I've got a picture of it right up here.
2: Vince Russo and Jerry Adams. No comment. Wishing we should get a balaclava on Vince Russo see how he looks.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Chris on Twitter asked Given that Piers Morgan seems to be having a face turn after being a heel for so long, right? Here, maybe a good topic is celebrities or personalities who turn face or heel. This is about Jade okay, uh, Jade Judy. Goody's a perfect
1: example. She went from face to heel to face. She had three turns. Yeah. Because she was a face in Big Brother, then when she returned to Big Brother, she was uh, racist to the, the woman on Big Brother, and then on the, the, the and then she became a face just as she was about to die.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. She did. That's and you, the no.
1: perfect face to heel turn ratio in UK entertainment history.
2: No, wait a minute, brother. We could argue that. She was heel originally when she was on Big Brother because everybody well, was like because she'd get buried on in an intro because right.
1: she's like, I'm a god, I'm a god.
2: Yep. So <laughs> she went kinda heel face, heel face. But she had four turns.
1: Fucking hell, I don't know. I don't know if Emily can beat if anybody if there's an embryo out there that can beat
2: Jade Goody's face, the heel run. Well let's see what the punt will say. Rich right. Rich says Peel still feels like the guy who they're pushing because that's the way Vince thinks it should go. And see, they're just booking somebody who's had these views for decades. <laughs> it's totally overthought. I love that. Rich is the listener of the week because I love that part. I like that
1: because that way you think ITV let's
2: keep Piers a push. I'm going to push Piers now. We're going is Piers is the face. The face at ITV for what
1: for them man.
2: You know what like. well, then, you
1: know, they says, need today. What they need to. sort of just point out But um, mm-hmm. probably another guy who had a a couple of human face turns. My hero, who I spoke to through the week, is getting all right. He was only telling this
2: morning, looking good. Michael Barrymore. Michael Barrymore has definitely had. Bill, let's see. Has he. Original baby face. He was a face. He's a big, big baby, baby face, right? Who is Michael Barrymore? Like, you know what I mean? Baby face wise, try to think who you would have been.
0: Hogan. I would say Hogan. Aye, maybe
2: Hogan. Aye. Your I kids loved him. on. A tram, uh, British Saturday Night TV. Kids loved him, grannies loved them, and all that. So Barrymore could be as Hogan-esque, definitely I Hogan-esque.
1: Actually, in fact, you know what? Michael Barrymore has probably had more heel face turns
2: than the fucking Big Show. But has he though? Has he not just I, went? Has he not just went face to kind of controversial tweener? I'd say he's maybe a tweener. But it's, too, it's just
1: because a couple of weeks ago he was on GMTV, and it was obviously you know I ain't wrong-in. Don't listen to Twitter, the Twitterati. Don't listen to Twitter Street. And all that, and then he got a bit abusive about it. But apparently, Stephanie told me he was on this morning looking well, probably because I spoke to him through the week. I've probably G'd him up.
2: Well, um, he was playing the Strike at lucky board game, mate, on GMTV this morning.
1: Yep. He's um Well, hold on, let me let me play He's a clip. This is a message from Paul Shaw. I know you're a big fan, and uh, Graydon asked me if I would
2: send you a message. And apparently, you sit both of you having a drink. I'm watching Stryker Lucky. I can't think of a
1: better recipe to spend the night. Good luck to you, lads. Nice to see you. Yeah. See you, Paul. All the best. See, I thought he was going to end up saying nice to
2: see, it, to see you nice. And I was thinking, oh, that's Brucey's. <laughs> it's, it's difficult to see he's a heel. Supposed to some people, he would be a heel.
1: I just, I'm, I, I, look, I'm about to keep my connection with, with Maribor. I, there's things I could say, but I'm not going to.
2: You don't want to burn the bridges, mate. You never know. You never know, mate. You might need Barrymore one day. So, as I was saying, eh, uh, the punters are keep it coming in. David says the lassie half Countdown who turned out to be a bit of an arsehole. Out of Oldham or was <laughs> that the blonde one? Blonde Lassie. She kind of has turned out to be a bit of a sore head. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What, she I don't know if she was a face though, was she? Aye. No, people people fancy her.
1: I, people fancy
2: her. Doesn't I, necessarily mean she's a face.
1: Yeah.
2: Mark Ray says Jade Goody. There you go. Ah, there we go. The racist chav to people's princess. See, also Ch- Cheryl Tweedy resurrected as Cheryl Cole because obviously she punched a black lassie in the toilets, remember?
1: Uh, All that, that. oh, right, aye, that's right. So she's kind of like um, Big Kevin Thorne, who was originally, you know, um, you know who I'm
2: talking about. Yeah, oh, I do know what you're talking about. He was called...
1: Was something, called or something? Uh, or Mascaris or um, oh, man, this
2: is. I need to find this. Anyway, what were you saying? What were you saying about him?
1: And I was just saying how, you know, that's Cheryl Sher- Coast wouldn't in that route, you know, changing her name, changing her game, make up a wee bit. Mordecai. Mordecai. I was close with my days.
2: Mordecai. Uh, aye, Mordecai. Uh, Ewan McLaughlin says, Paul Gascoigne Murphy's heel turns in the big show. <laughs> that depends. That, I mean, I've already made that comment. But, um, so, so, let's see, when he when he played for England, to me, he was a heel, right? And then when he came to Rangers, he was a mega heel. <laughs> and then um, when, he, <laughs> when he when he did some things in his personal life he was a heel even the maximum heel Better and stuff. then I suppose he was slightly a face when he brought that chicken to Raoul Mote yeah. that was quite compassionate I suppose to try and yeah. help and that guy out
1: Don't forget the fishing rod
2: and the fishing rod
1: uh, he saved that guy's life unfortunately the police he death
2: before the guy got to <laughs> Guy Incognito says Robert Downey Jr. had a great face turn after getting himself sober and making his career come back in the early 2000s. True, but this is just suggesting that uh, a, a person who has addiction issues is necessarily a heel, which I don't think is necessarily the case. I would say Robert Downey Jr. has always been a face. I want to say he's been a heel. Ever. I'm, not really a, I'm not really aware of his work. Robert, a fucking Iron Man. Oh, come on, you know I don't watch that shit. I lasted half an
1: hour that last week on that Disney+. Plus. So Unbelievable.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Say, says the wrestler man says the, the wrestler
1: <laughs>
2: David Fleming says Rod Stewart could they nay rang and sell like supporters minds a few months back then he says one congratulations to Boris Johnson and he's now a heel
1: you see Rod Stewart was originally pictured in the Rangers tap back in the day nah it was just
2: kid, no, no it was just for Halloween you, so, and who does Rangers have to be fair who does oh, Rangers have they have oh, Grado oh, oh. Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin Gray, old shell suit Boba Jordan. Nah, no Stone Cold. They don't have Stone Cold There's Steve a picture Ops. of
1: Stone Cold where just Rangers tap.
2: No, but that was just because... When I, I met a... him,
1: I was talking to him about the night. He was going, how is the Rangers getting on? I said, will get there.
2: <laughs> 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 uh, Scott M says, Jimmy Savile, bigger than Hogan's at the bash. Now, there you go. There's a fucking heel turn. There's a heel turn. Uh, hey, Ro- fucking Rolf Harris.
1: Aye, I man. He was a major babyface. Until Rolf he Harris
2: about. was a blue-eyed babyface. I'll, I'll one, Fred the Weatherman. Oh, my God, Fred the Weatherman's the belter. He was a face. Yeah. He was a big baby face. You know, I've, they- I've told the story
1: somewhere before, ain't I? about Stephen Sullivan and Fred the Weatherman, right?
2: Uh, no, no.
1: Oh, my God. So me and Jimmy Corkill are hanging about with each other in Liverpool. Hold on, you and Jimmy Corkill? Yeah,
2: uh-huh.
1: Right. right. Me, or Dallas and Jimmy Corkill First of all, like walking through Liverpool with Jimmy Corkell, was like walking through like New York with Justin Bieber, right? That's what it was like. Everybody was coming out super drunk with the boozers.
0: Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> we was sat in this wee uh, boozer just after, after the Clyde or whatever it is they call that, their Clyde. Um, and I uh, was drinking with Modane, and, and I was like, Aye! That's where Freddie Weatherman you should do this morning and jump the, the maps. And I said to the going, Hey, do you ever, you ever get mad with it one night and jump on the map way? And get wrecked, with them, you, you two scout celebrities. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get dead uncomfortable. Five minutes later, he phoned a taxi and fucked off. And I was like, I've just something rang there. So we get on the caravan to drive to the next fucking um, I wasn't driving to drive to the next town. And um, I text my mum saying, mum, I've been hanging about with Jimmy Corkill, Dean Sullivan all day. And she texts me back saying, He's gay. I was like, I didn't know he was gay. So I googled. Uh, Dean Sullivan, Jimmy Corkill, and it came up. <laughs> James, Jimmy Corkill had been in a 10 year relationship with Fred Talbot, the weatherman.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> Aye, they
1: were lovers. Jimmy, Jimmy, Corkill. Aye, Jimmy, Jimmy Corkill. Jimmy Jimmy,
2: Jimmy Corkill.
1: Uh, Dan the Uzzy. Jimmy get, Corkill. Get to to uzzy. Jimmy Trainees. Jimmy Corkill. Jimmy
2: Corkill. So Jimmy, Jimmy Corkill. Jimmy Corkill. <laughs> 10 year relationship with. Fred we the Weatherman,
1: like, Fred's the mate. Jimmy Cracker. The person that had to grasp, like, Fred in, or, you know, tell him, like, like well, then, who, who, what happened, you know, who, who the who is it that abused you? Well, you know that guy that used to, you know, jump the maps on the, this morning, and the postman just going, what, Fred the Weatherman? And <laughs> maybe like, popping, I don't know. Yeah, but like, Fred the Weatherman,
2: the, the guy that used to go out with Jimmy Cracker. <laughs> Right, so um, Ian's contributed to your ongoing topic of Family Members Day wrestling catchphrases as his six-year-old son, Liam, does this.
0: Gredo, it's yourself! (laughs) Oh,
2: Oh. Gredo, it's yourself. That's cute. Mainly Gredo versus Alexa saga here, though, Gredo. All right, okay. Sean gave it a go.
1: Computer, who is Gredo? Greedo is a fictional character in the Star Wars franchise. (laughs) 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 Grido! <laughs> 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 That's about
2: right. Jabba the heart. That's about right, did they
1: say? <laughs> oh, man, my God. I need to phone for a minute now, man. Like, I'm just going to just voice message my agent to get
2: <laughs> What, to get Alexa sorted out? Yep. We reckon David has nailed oh, it though, Grido. i am
1: mean, like, you know, um, having a wee bit of bother with Alexa. <laughs> You used to be able to say who it is, Grado, and it tell you. Now it, tells, now it tells people I'm either Jabba the Heart for Star Wars or a German Nazi. If you can try and sort that out.
2: But David, David has got in touch and we think he's maybe nailed it, mate. Oh. So we hear this. Right, what do you hear? Right. That's That's it. It. Open Grado oh, Facts. Welcome to Grado oh, Facts.
1: Let's start. Grado won the Pro Wrestling Elite Heavyweight Championship from Dave Mastiff at Grado Mania. <laughs> yes, mentioned working for that. TNA on the Wrestling Golf podcast. What was that saying? That- Grado has never mentioned working for TNA on the Wrestling Draft <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>
2: okay, <laughs> if you guys or ladies want to get in touch with us about any of that or just random wrestling related stuff, get us on Twitter at Wrestling Daft, on Instagram at Wrestling Daft Podcast, or just Wrestling Daft on Facebook or email wrestlingdaft at gmail.com. Now, every week we like to separate the good for the bad in wrestling, uh, the aliens from the Alien 3. Aliens is good. Alien three being bad. There, agree with that Grado? do you be watched alien? Is that the one where um, that big
1: geek and a Jewish fella's no. in it? No, it's, it's the fly. What?
2: what? I'm thinking of the fly flyer. <laughs> you know? The a big cool. Jewish fella. I might right. watch that. Um, who, is there, who, who do you want to bury and who? Goldberg or something? I like know. Jeff Goldblum. Ah, is it? Who do you want to? <laughs> who do you want to bury and who do you want to put over? Mate, I've been working my arse off. I've been, been doing my frontline
1: work, my radio work. I don't even know if I've even seen a wrestling fucking picture this week, never mind a, a show or,
2: uh, or... I'm going to put old John Cena, basically. I'm going to do that because he's still look there doing his Make-A-Wish stuff, even with the pandemic going.
1: Aye, i seen that. I, I, that I don't
2: even want to go to the co for my messages. And the old John Cena still cutting about the country going and making... These wee Wayne's wishes come through. He's should he be doing that? But in this current climate, okay, oh, I might I'm sure
1: him that cause I'm,
2: sure, I'm sure it's safe. And what a guy! I mean, what a guy he
1: is. Mr. Kennedy telling me his breath smells like shite.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Whose breath smells like shite? Apparently, seen us. I'm. I'm not fucking having that. I'm not having that. I'm not having you saying that on my po- fucking podcast show.
1: I mean, I love seeing that, but apparently that was the world on the street.
2: I'm moving on for that. I want to see what the punters are saying. I'm, I'm putting over John Cena and I'm who am I burying? I'm not going to bury anybody. I'm not going to bury anybody. I'm not in the mood Barry to bury anybody.
1: Come on, let's just do it.
2: No, I'm not going to bury anybody. I'm not, no, I'm not going to bury anybody. Uh, John, however, one of your listeners, wants to put over the Live Morgan match with Charlotte. Um, did you see... Uh, uh, did you see the Live in Charlotte match, Grado? I know you like to keep up with a woman's wrestling. I never saw the Live in Charlotte church match. Charlotte,
1: Charlotte Church. Church. I said Charlotte Church. Is that on the <laughs> web? <whiff thing up? laughs> <you've done> <laughs> he said Charlotte. Listen,
2: it's a mistake in the show notes, right? That John, producer yeah. John, has written Charlotte Church in the show notes. That's not a mistake because Grado once referred. To- yeah, it's a reference. It's a reference to your mistake. Oh, you did when did I say that? Fucking four weeks ago or something. You called Charlotte. Charlotte Church. <laughs> um. Anyway, Liv Morgan and Charlotte Church. I've not seen no that problem. match myself. I'll need to check that out. Liv is, um, I would like to see them day a with Liv Morgan because she's got a lot of personality. But John wants to bury just the fact that wrestling shite with any fans. Well, there's not much they can do about that, is there? Really? Not much. This, this man,
1: Hazy's he's, he's putting over the Revolt podcast with Jericho. Worth a listen. I spoke to Jericho at the weekend. A wee about of FaceTiming. That's what I was going to say. I can say, but I just wanted to let like, you know that's what I was doing. I'll
2: be um, catch up with I the Belgian.
1: man. No, it was good fun, man. So it was. But, is he uh, all right? Is he doing I don't okay? Like, nah, don't, I, mean, this, I can't tell you, man. You know what I'm saying? It's between me and him. Uh, but he, I'll probably, just for the boys? Is it just for the boys' grade? Don't you? can't. He Nobody's allowed to put so such wrestlers only. Cool wrestlers.
2: Okay. All right. But okay. um, uh, Hazy wants to bury the picture I drew on the Money in the Bank poster. For fuck's sake, he looks like a geek. Right? I can, let me see yeah, this.
1: Man, let me see
2: it. Let's see this Money in the Bank. This is me, Titan. Can you hear it?
1: I'm getting
2: do the same thing, a lot, but I've got a MacBook. So. Look at his happy smile. Look at his big happy smile. He's got a big happy smile. So is that why we're saying he looks like a geek? Because he's really just very happy? It's weird though, isn't it? It's weird that they've got him smiling like that. I've never,
1: <laughs> seen, I've never even seen Drew smile like that in real life.
2: See the face that Drew's making on that money in the bank poster, that big smile. That's the face all the Celtic fans make when Steven Gerrard says he's staying at Rangers.
1: I'll just see you at the RTS awards, and we'll see who's fucking smiling that <laughs> night. That night. <laughs> 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 Handicap match, two doors down, and Scott squad versus and Come on, come
2: on, boys!
1: Yeah, fucking uh, break. I tell you what, if you Sean, fucking win this, I'm going to take. I'm going to honestly, if you win it. I'm coming up and taking the fucking me man on a stick and shoving it right up your shakter.
2: It's not a man on a stick. It's actually just a glass column. And a, a, a mate. I've got a pretty big sphincter, but a glass column wouldn't fit up it. No. I've tried. I'm talking for experience. Sean is, <laughs> Sean is burying Raw until it goes back to Tours. Watched it the other night and felt like it was never going to end, he says. And he wants to put over Ahmed Johnson. I don't know what he's up to these days. He says, but I just thought he was class. Ah, Have nice nice you ever seen like,
1: some shit interviews with him and, and, he, and he, he questioned the, shit, the presenter? Go, how do you know that? How do you know that? Who told, you that? Who told you that. Who told you that? You ever seen, watched that? Did he do that? that? Takes written the wrong way. Who told you that? What the fuck do you read that? He's fucking
2: great quality for an intimidating, intimidating. Me get him on and bomb him up. Aye. Uh, Sandy wants to put over Lashley getting a decent push again. It's been wasted and it's no great to see he's been booked like the unit he is.
1: Won't <sighs> I send it bad my friend Bobby? He's my good,
2: good mate. He's Just, a good mate of mine. I feel like they've no ever really found how to present Bobby Lashley. Aye. And, and he wants to bury uh, Humberto Carillo. Honestly, do not see the hype around him and more deserving people deserve that spot or him. What do um, you think
1: they should do with Lashley? Lashley should, should, should be with Lesnar at one point, Right.
2: Well, you want to see that, didn't you? You know me. You 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 talk. Like, Gredo, look who you're talking to here. You know I want if there's big guys. The damaged goods, but... Who?
1: Lashley, in terms of being in fucking Dastoril, into that ticket, Leo Rush, whatever.
2: No, because you know it only takes... It only takes a couple of months to turn somebody around.
1: True.
2: You know? and, and particularly when you look like that, when you're a big, giant, physical specimen, then all you need to do is set sit a guy like that one people for a few months and you're laughing. Um, Stephen wants to put Osuna for his make-a-wish appearances. Yes, bury the fact that AEW is throwing Marco Marco stunt about like a rag doll against massive guys.
1: So Sammy Callahan pulled me up a couple of years ago and says, the guy going about stealing your gimmick with a bum bag?" And he does a whole rock entrance. I've never really been exposed to Marco Stunt above. I Only he remember getting buried on the Jim Cornette podcast. He follows
2: me on Twitter. I suppose I'm just a jealous bastard. To him. You <laughs> did that a job and I'm not. Listen, Marco Stunt will love getting flung about that rag doll against massive guys. So don't worry about Marco Stunt. He's fine. Scott wants to put out Liv Morgan and Selena Vega, both class again this week, and actually making Raw enjoyable. But wants to bury folk that keep saying, WWE are burying wrestlers after a loss. Well, see for me, bring back the jobbers, man. Like, one of the main things I would do if I was running a wrestling show is I would have your stars gone or just some jobbers. Listen, well, do you know what? It's funny you say that.
1: Said I can't make the content but that's what I want. You know, I always feel that the first match in a show should be something like a big, fat, muscly fucking monster. Day. I can't come out and just waste somebody in ten seconds, and that's the opening match.
2: Well, there you go. But I, I never
1: we're... ever did it. I never ever did it, and I always um, when I book creator, he ends up fucking putting the other cunt over, which is I, need, I really need
2: to <laughs> slow down. I need to, but I need to push. I need to give him a push. Okay, though, what is the deal with creator? Because I've only, I've only ever seen him wrestle. He was in World of Sport, right? Aye. He wrestled in World of Sport, and then he wrestles in your pavilion shows. But he's no... Is he... Uh, I kind of feel confused about the guy. Is, is he, does he, how, how much does he work? Well, first
1: of all, he was given that gimmick, right? But here's the truth. He was meant to be originally called, instead of Crater, he was meant to be called Stench. Which I think is fucking brilliant, and when all the boys found out it was going to be called Stench, we went, "That's perfect." But he didn't want to do it he wanted to be called something else, so they gave him creator. So the boys all call him Stench.
2: What, so the boys still
1: call him Stench. Well, it's so not we kind of went died in a wee bit. But at the time we just required him. How how great a uh, name is that? for somebody that looks like that? You, he looks like a stench, doesn't he?
2: <laughs> you know, Hank. Well well I suppose he looks more like a stench than he looks like a crater because ah, a crater's I... a big hole this is what I've never understood why is he called a big hole Fraser say once they put over Jimmy Havoc and kept saving getting more time more TV time in AEW if it was business as usual I could see them easily being lost in the shuffle also put over the Manitoba melee has the best of a bubbly bunch so far again Ooh. no, no, no. Oh, it's just, this is just it's all <laughs> fucking this is all fucking Greek to me AEW Again, <laughs> no real buries, but wondering if they're going to explain AJ's return or if it's just a case of his wrestling, do we need to explain? Is that you, AJ
1: Styles or uh, is it, was, was it Punks bud?
2: No, AJ Styles. You don't need to explain it. We all know that AJ Styles didn't actually fucking die and get buried. No, he's... Jesus in fucking Atlanta, Christ. You imagine anything worse than AJ Styles turning up and going, so I, got, I, I dug myself out and I, had a, I came back to life and, uh, fuck off, Scott put out last week's episode, was one of the best so far. It was. It was one of the best so far, but he wants to bury Gredo's shite broadband. I agree with
1: that, but looking at this other cunt called Dylan, I'm burying Grado for complaining that there are no audiences. Mate, this is clear and You're not supporting your pals, Colt and Jericho, as AEW is a small audience around the ring of talent that fixes the awkward silence. Listen, doesn't, it, say, count? doesn't it count? I fucking said that the, the, the Colt would probably what actually, FaceTime Colt on Monday, and I says, Do you know what? I says, This is actually perfect for you, because you're a, you're a, he's a bit like me, like, you're better off seeing me live than watching me back on YouTube, you get what I mean? So you can hear all the funny wee bits and bobs that come out of my mouth, and Colt is the same, so I think this is a perfect time for Colt to, to be in the situation that he's in, and I said that to him on Monday, and he, was, and he just nodded
2: his head. Just don't worry about it, this guy should not be coming on here and moaning at you and saying that AEW has an audience around the ring. <laughs> Dylan wants to put over, however, the Spanish gods. Sammy. Yeah, that connection unstable there. The guy's like a young Mr. Perfect in that he pa- he backs up his arrogance every single week. Spanish I'm so
1: gods. sorry for my millionaire pals. I'm so sorry for all my pals that are running about in mansions and fucking HRVs. That's a, that's a fucking thing,
2: Dylan is an A.W. mark. That's what he is. He's a so mad. My, my
1: pals have some of the best lives you can ever live. There's some people for the boatman to Stevenson that kind of that fucking wear a Adidas two straight. Yeah, this cunt's complaining that because my pals coat in Jericho who are sitting in their mansions with their millions and I'm sitting here listening with a fucking bottle of strongbow.
2: Gredo is ordering for the fucking spicy hot four times a week. Keeping that business, keeping that fucking business running. What you fucking doing, Dylan? Gredo is keeping the fucking spicy hut, keeping that fucking light zone in that building. What are you, Dylan? You, Dylan, you worry about putting money in the pockets of like Chris Jericho and leave fucking Gredo. They worry about putting money in the pockets of the real fucking people. That's the people that work in the fucking spicy hut And Stevenson's podcast man. is sponsored by spicy hut.
1: Cheers,
2: Rob. Chris Grant. You like this one, Gredo? Chris, Chris Grant is putting over fuck all and he's burying everyone. fucking scunner.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> That's my last of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it's now time to talk about a Patreon. As lockdown continues, it's time to get more content from Wrestling Daft by signing up to Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash.
2: Nae backslashes. We'll make sure you make it clear to them as no backslashes allowed. It's quite a pause in the segue there. Wrestling Daft. Um, hello to some of our new
1: Patreons. Uh, shout out to Stephen Roche who's upgraded his account. Well done, mate. We've set up three tiers, which you can choose to get involved in at patreon.com. Tier 1, you're the Cruiserweight Champion, which is about £3 a month. On that, you get the patron only chat community, so you can all talk amongst yourselves about how gals and sexy we are. Um, you can add three versions of all episodes. You get full unedited version. You get random bonus content, and you get the video version of the Marks podcast. Uh, and Then you can also vote to what you want to see on the list of Wrestling Daft. Tier 2, you want to be the Continental Champion, that's about £7.70, $10 a month. You get uh, the video version of the podcast each month. It's the same as all the stuff that you get in the horse tyre. Tier how do you pronounce it? You get a bonus episode once a month. Next uh, one, next one's going to be next week, probably, possibly joining me. Um, so if you want to hear my life story, you know, this is my life. This <laughs> is my life with uh, John McAnally, then should buy that. Um, buy that tier. This weekend we're going to have one for Money in the Bank because it must be Money in the Bank on Sunday for now about that. Oh no, I don't know what's Money in the Bank. I just spoke to a lot of my pals, high up the WWE, that told me stuff about it, which I can't review on this podcast. Uh, tier 3, World Heavyweight Champion, which is about 20 bucks a month. Uh, that's about £15. Pound. You get every, everything in the previous tiers as well as free tickets to every live event. They always sell out every time we do live events. Uh, once we're allowed to get out of the self-isolation again. And you get a Wrestling Daft T-shirt, free one of your choice. Uh, but you need to sign up for a minimum of three months. Don't just fucking think you can pay twenty bar and get that t-shirt. You need to probably pay sixty bar for a t-shirt. So there you go. <laughs> Plus to feature on one of our show shows is one of our marks. So if you fancy that and becoming one of our patrons, sign up now at patreoncom slash dafts As we would love to welcome you <laughs> to the roster.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You just made the list!
2: This week on our Patreon, we ask for you guys to vote on our list of wrestling Daft. Remember, you can vote by signing up for $4 a month at patreon.com forward slash wrestling Daft. Now, this week, as it's Money in the Bank, M-I-T-B-B-B-B, we ask you to choose between your favorite winners and cash-ins. And... Put that up against the most outrageous moments in wrestling. What's it going to be? Favorite winners and cash hands? Most outrageous moments in wrestling. 65% of you wanted us to talk about the most outrageous moments in wrestling. So here is my top three most outrageous moments in wrestling. My number three is going to be Halloween Havoc 1991. And it's when Abdullah the Butcher got electrocuted in an electric chair.
1: This Jack thought it was Rick Steiner, but Abdullah! My gosh! Think about what
0: he's experiencing—he's getting
1: cooked. How did you pronounce Abdullah? Abdullah the butcher,
2: like this. Abdullah the butcher.
1: No, you said it definitely. You said it like ab, ab,
2: abdullah Abdullah the butcher. You said Abdullah. Mm-hmm. Abdullah the butcher. You
1: said that as if like I don't know, like you know him, and that's the way he likes getting called it. Abdullah.
2: Abdullah. Abdullah the butcher. Uh, Get electrocuted in an electric chair. I believe it was Mick Foley. It was Cactus Jack that flicked the switch uh, That electrocuted uh, Abdullah Butcher. Now the reason why I chose this as my number three most outrageous moment in wrestling is because I've been trying to think about this in terms of Let's imagine it's somebody doesn't watch wrestling and they just kind of turn out of the wrestling and seeing this big guy sitting in an electric chair getting electrocuted going like that
0: Uh
2: That for me is Outrageous, do you know what I mean? 'Cause we're not getting correct me if I'm wrong, we're not talking about things like um, Bruiser Brody getting fucking stabbed in the dressing room, not that, right? It's not that kind of stuff. It's like stuff that happens in the ring. So that's my number three. I've not seen that, I to seen that. My number two is uh, a moment from Hustle Japan. As as a it's a kind of like an angle and hustle Japan when the when the
1: what do you call it?
2: Just listen to me. When the Erotic terrorist Yinling uh, <laughs> was involved in a new. No, the erotic terrorist Yinling was. She's was like an erotic model who joined Hustle, uh, and she was like a villainous kind of. She used off She used sex really to control people, right? And she was in a match with the Great Muta, and the Great Muta uh, Muta took an opportunity at one point in the match to blow his green mist at a. Uh, Yinling's fanny. And it got Yinling pregnant with Great Muta's baby. Fee's <laughs> green mist.
1: Fucking brilliant.
2: And Yinling laid uh, an egg uh, that became this giant egg that a wrestler called Akebono hatched to. was this big, giant, fat wrestler, Akebono, uh, giant Bono, monster Bono. And eventually, ultimately, the story ended in a tragic way because uh, Akebono ended up. Fighting his mother yin Ling in a match and then crushed her to death <laughs> So that's my, uh, my set, number two outrageous moment as Great Mu'a uh, blowing the green mist at yin uh, crotch and getting her
1: pregnant <laughs>
2: and My number one has got to be because I still to this day can't quite believe that they aired that when you consider the profile of the WWE. But uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin getting crucified by the Undertaker still remains for me the most outrageous moment uh, in wrestling.
0: Never seen anything like this in my life, oh, Look at
2: this. I'll Steve Austin is he's, being, he's being humble right now.
0: The Undertaker is making an example of him.
2: Here's the punters, though. Here's what the punter says. Al B says, Randy and the Cobra, Randy Savage, an incredible moment. This only get better with time when we learn the backstory that Randy got Jake to get the snake to bite him first to prove its venom glands had been removed. You can hear about that story on Jericho's podcast where he interviews uh, Jake the Snake, it's very good from the Jericho Cruise. Dom Dom says, the hand that Mae Young gave birth to, being grown up. What the fuck does that mean? Uh, for how original don't listen to Gredo's in a bad mood he's turned he's turned he's turned heel we're talking about people turning heel early he's turned heel Fraser says New Jack just New Jack New Jack there's nothing outrageous about New Jack if anything New Jack is predictable he's going to come out and he's oh he's so wild he's so dangerous but Gredo has told me a million times that he would knock fuck out a New Jack Marco uh, (laughs) says
1: cut that (laughs) about (laughs) <laughs> nah,
2: disrespect, I was Jack, need that
1: respect, new to DM him because he's on my Facebook. <laughs> and I was thinking he's just released a book, so remember maybe why I come on here. Yeah,
2: yeah that would be good. Um, Marco says Jeff Jarrett tanking women every week and putting them in a figure four, which led up to a good housekeeping match with China. Yeah, man. Sean, five words, choppy, choppy. Your PP. If you remember that kind Thai business with Val Venus, Scott McKenzie, me, young Flashner, paps, at everybody she could at the Miss Royal Rumble contest. Remember that.
1: Oh, that was brilliant. I had
2: a fucking offer, Roger. Fraser says, it's going to be Big Boss Man stealing the coffin at Big Show's dad's funeral. Oh, my God, that's good. Or Boss Man feeding Al Snowy's in. Doug. Boss Man character was a maniac. A fucking maniac, 1999. Listen, see Boss Man and Big Show's dad's funeral. See that feud, man. I fucking that, love that. That's hilarious, that man. That was great, wasn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Big oh, Show owned that the coffin and right? not getting dragged.
1: Aye talk right. about an emotional guy see anytime you ever watch an interview man he always starts greeting see if he gets interviewed after Steve Austin he always finds something to greet about yeah. for Here sure John. I, he does he greets I something. was greeting big like show sure. <laughs> he's saying greeting was <laughs> a good greet <laughs> Like Paul man greeting, like,
2: fuck, uh, okay. um, Devon. Dylan, Dylan says, Lucha Underground. Lucha Underground when they literally started killing characters off. Brian Cage even won an Infinity-style gauntlet. Infinity War still, the Infinity Gauntlet-style thing and punched a hole right through a guy's. He'd be so many crazy moments in the short run. Everybody should take some time to watch that short-lived series. you watched any Lucha Underground, Gredo? I
1: think I watched one or two episodes, man, but nah, it wasn't for
2: me. Just... Too cartoonish, too daft.
1: I I, I mean, I I like the the idea of the the studio setting and stuff like that, but it was like the wrestling too much for me. Tell you what, it was one fucking great match with Vampiro and some other Lucha guy. That was great. A few built up, but we are. It's
2: a a classic Vampiro versus some other Lucha guy. It's a belter. (laughs) (laughs) It's a five-star classic. I mean... <laughs> Vampiro. Making Margaret, a, a, Margaret, I'm going to go look. out of my tapes and see if he can dig out Vampiro versus some mad lucha guy. <laughs> for me. <laughs> 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 uh, that's good because he's got shaved teeth and he's wearing really
1: street clothes and all that. It's good.
2: Aye. Yeah, Del, maybe a bit of a cliche but for me it's Undertake a lobbing mankind after the top of the hell in a cell and disintegrating the announce table. Still to this day makes me sit back and go, wow, Mick Foley is the god of wrestling. WTF moments. Whew. Um, n- no storyline fodder Just pure bodily sacrifice For our entertainment Yeah it's legend LEGEND Says there Del. was a big Mick Foley fan I actually feel like that segment Is extremely irresponsible Distasteful Aye. And uh, it's fucking brilliant man it? It's brilliant Brilliant at Hell in a Cell match isn't
1: it I showed my brother Not long ago She went holy fuck man that, that must have been to, her. That's good
2: to be. That's a fucking story You know
1: oh, <laughs> That's the closest one
2: Margaret, what was that cage match? It was a Mick Foley versus Mad Undead Guy. Mad Undead Guy 2000. Get that. Karate Warrior, oh, 1998, was it? Yeah, it was... Uh, King of the Ring, 1998. Aye, mate. I had it on VHS. I remember the cover of black with the thingies and the red writing. Karate Warrior 2 says Chucky from Child's Place. <laughs> Stop. stalking Rick Steiner and WCW. That went on for fucking weeks and months, by the way. I never saw that. Chucky. Rick Steiner would be in matches in the ring, you know, and then you would just hear, hey, Rick. You'd hear like fucking Chucky going, hey, Rick, it's me, Chucky. That
1: sounds fucking brilliant. How have I not seen that?
2: You need to look that up. I must have been on the road. You need to look that up. Anyway, thanks for the contributions, folks. Some amazing... uh, Amazing highlights there, let me tell you. But you got to look out uh, my picks there. You have to look out that. young uh, Link know. and Hustle. And uh, cool. have a wee look at Abdullah yeah. Butcher getting his, getting his fucking head fried. <laughs> now listen, you can go wrestling daft your very self by sporting your very own wrestling daft t-shirt. Get them at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash wrestling daft and backslashes or you'll get slashed. On there, you'll find designs such as I'm a Mark, I'm going to take the bump for you, Chips, Cheese and Donner, Meat," and I'm a Wrestler too. Plus, right now, you can get free standard delivery. That is absolutely free. And remember, take a pic so we can enter you into our Hall of Fame, just as Lewis did with his Chips, Cheese and Donner t-shirt in red. So check out. A range of t shirts and hoodies at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash wrestling daft now, or just check out the links on our Facebook page or our Twitter at wrestling daft. Right now, let's introduce. The former creative
1: director of on-air promotions at WWE, as well as a producer of TNA and Impact Wrestling. He is the man that brought Vince McMahon to tears. And he now works on MLW. Do you work for MLW, I
0: didn't know that, do you? I did before I came back to Impact. I worked with them as the uh, show director. All oh, right. They, want, they wanted me on board more, but one of my conditions coming back, working for Anthem and working for Impact, was that I had to give up MLW. So uh, I'm exclusive to Impact right now, under contract.
1: Oh. That's it. And uh, Big Eric Tompkins, he told me to promote Impact Wrestling. Not that I ever really do. I'm always... T- do I talk about Impact a lot on this program, Robert?
2: Occasionally. Occasionally. Basically, I get rigged for
1: talking about Impact every week, Sahadi. So that's basically <laughs> that. That's, uh, you, can, you can catch Impact live. Now, don't get live, fuck. But it's on every week on Five Star. I think it's a Saturday. So... I mean, I uh, watch it. Um, it's, there's some good
0: stuff going on right now. Impact. What do you think? I, I do like the content. And and one thing I gotta tell you, Grado, is when I left in 2017, um, before we even get into the content, um, there was a very negative uh, vibe backstage. Like Impact, the last couple of years under the old regime, it was just not a fun place to work. And then when Scott called me a year ago and asked me to come on back. Um, I said, let me think about that. And I talked to Gail Kim. She was working at Impact at the time. And she said, David, it is a completely different place than the Impact that you left a year ago. Please come back. And I got to tell you, Grado, it's like, I love it. Um, It's such a great co-creative environment where we're working with talent. We're getting ideas from Sammy Callahan. We're getting ideas from Eddie Edwards on how to do things. We're giving them ideas so the production and the talent interaction is tremendous Aye. even when it comes to doing packages and shoots and post-production the vibe there is awesome it's like a whole new company that's it's good not, because yes. there was a there was a point it I felt
1: as if as around about as soon as i joined in 2014 everything just went completely done hell <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it started before you joined in 2014. I'm right. Too bad you weren't around in 2009 and 2010, but it started before you were there. And you, you, were, you were privy to some of the negativity that was there backstage and the backstabbing and how it was not always such a, a fun place to work and be around. And right now, it, it really is. I'm glad I jumped back in full time.
2: David, David, for our listeners, can you give us just a little capsule review of your career so far up to this point? Even I want to know this because you know that, David, that
1: Bruce Pritchard mentions you on his podcast every other week. There's people that want to know your story, David, you know?
0: Okay, if I go too long, you can cut me off. How about that?
2: Yeah, no, just go for it. Just go for it, man. We could take oh, I,
0: I started working in NBC Sports, and I was at NBC for four years. I became, uh, within four years, the head of on-air promotion for NBC Sports, and I was the youngest person in any major network to hold that title. Wow. And, Wait, yeah, so what, what
2: age were you then, David? What age was that?
0: Oh, I was in my, my mid-twenties. This is wow, back right. in uh, 1988 to 1992 when I left to go to WWF. Right. Uh, now WWE, people want to know what the motivation was. It, was. it was twofold. One is that I wasn't creatively satisfied at NBC Sports. They were very conservative. And every time I tried to think outside the box, they would rein me back in. They wanted everything very standard, mentioned name, 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 day, uh, event, and time. And also, uh, there was a person, John Filippelli, otherwise known as Flip, who was the executive producer uh, at WWF. I had known him from NBC Sports. He was a big-time producer there, and he left to go work for Vince. And he courted me to come to WWF. And at first, I resisted. Um, they made me an a, a offer that was one and a half times more than I was getting paid at NBC. But I wanted yeah. to stay at NBC Sports. Uh, they thought I was bluffing. I gave them eight weeks to make a counter offer. They refused to make a counter offer and I left. But it was the greatest thing that I ever did because it, well, it sorry it, to
2: interrupt, but was that was that decision purely was it purely financial or was it was it also creative? And was there also a wee element of
0: because
2: I I often think this about the wrestling industry. Sometimes it kind of I think when you get a an offer from the wrestling industry, it feels a wee bit like running away with the circus, there's a wee bit of an element of that. What, what, what kind of factors were playing into your decision then when you made that jump?
0: Well, A, it wasn't just financial, because I would have stayed for less than what WDF was, was offering me. Yeah, and I felt that I was being taken advantage of because of my age, me, me being so youthful, and the fact that they didn't think that it was a credible offer that nobody from sports would leave to go work for a wrestling company. Yeah, But I think the fact that I had sports as a background, that's one thing that I brought to wrestling. I tried to do packages and, and, and promotions that made the athletes, the stars of wrestling, feel like they're real sports players and real yeah. athletes. So I brought a sense of realism at first into the wrestling world. And, uh, you know, one of the spots that I did a couple of years in was called the Attitude Spot. And it begins with, uh, you know, all the wrestlers saying, I know what you're thinking. I'm not really an athlete. I'm just a wrestler. Well, I was an all-star at this. You know, I played football for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. I was legitimizing these these great athletes, you know, that people said, oh, there's professional wrestlers. They didn't understand how talented. How talented I mean, I they think
2: a lot of people, a lot of wrestling fans look back at the Attitude Era and WWF and really hold it in high regard, really high regard. But for me, um, because I work in the TV industry, and for me, the reason why the the Attitude Era was so exciting was a lot of that was about production. It was about the production of the thing, and you could see that it had taken a big step forward. I mean, the, the WWF old school, that promo video that you produced, the yes. classy Freddie Blassie and stuff, I mean, I, that landed unbelievably. It really landed unbelievably. I can remember watching it live myself. Yes. And I, th- I think it's, it's arguably the best uh, wrestling video package there's ever been, I think.
0: That's the one that made Vince Man cry.
2: Yeah, I mean, really, I, I, but it's, really great, it's really special. It's really special. You want to a
0: great backstory to that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, so
0: we, we did the attitude spot where we legitimized the athletes as being real, you know, athletes, this and that. Um, um, so this the spot with Classic Freddy Blassie, in my mind, yeah. was the follow-up. It was the sequel. So I was taking the older guys and having them put over the younger guys. And by this point, my, working at WF, I had so much creative latitude that I didn't have to run anything by Vince And Kevin Dunn, the executive producer, knew that I was doing the spot with the older talent, you know, shooting in Albany. And Vince found out the day I was doing the shoot. And he told Kevin, what is Sahadi doing with these older stars? Um, We're all about the new generation right now, these young guys. What's he doing? Kevin Dunn basically told Vince that, uh, don't worry, Sahadi has a good track record. Let's just see what he has to do. So basically, Kevin called me during the shoot and said, Vince knows you're working with the older guys. Um, he does not know what the spot's about. He thinks it's wrong. So it better be good. That's all I got to tell you. Have a good shoot. And he hung up. <laughs> and when, when Vince right came up, yeah. to the spot, um, you know, in, in the room, he had an attitude. He had the old, you know, walk with me. He won't even look at me. We got in the room. He goes, okay, play that spot. And we start playing spot. And about 15 seconds in, he's like, damn. I goes. He goes, damn. And once again, he goes, like, damn. And before the spot ends, he walked out of the room. And I turned to Shane, who was there, you know, along with Vince, and said, yeah. Shane, uh, what does that mean? And Shane turned to me and smiled, and he goes, you got him, Sahadi. You got him. <laughs> now I walked out of the studio, and Vince is sitting on the floor crying in tears. And he's like, wow. thank you. Thank you so much, David. Thank you so much. So I walked upstairs to tell Kevin Dunn that Vince liked the spot, the one that he was credibly against at first, that I, you know, that I didn't run the idea by him on um, why we're using older guys. And then Kevin's like, good job. So I walked down the hallway 15 minutes later, Vince is still sitting on the stairs with his son and Pat Patterson, and he's crying and he's telling me, thank you. And Amazing. I think the reason why it was, it was twofold. I think it was very personal for Vince because the spot was a passing of the torch of the older guys to the new guys, the Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Undertaker's, you know, all the talent that was there now, the rock. Yeah. Um, but he also saw, like, how he took what his father had done. Because he's the only yeah. got from his father's error, And how Vince himself had surpassed what his father had even dreamt about. So I think it resonated with him on a very personal level. And that's why it, it drove him to tears. I think it was uh,
2: an incredible spot, that, to be honest. Is it, your pers- is it your favorite spot, or do you have a spot that you...
0: I have, proud many, of yourself. I have many favorite spots. That's my favorite spot in, one, in the sense that it drove me to tears.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, probably not the most favorite spot I did, but, but that spot also resonates with me on, on many levels too because I became a big Freddie Blassie fan during the end of his career. Yeah. And I would use Freddie's voice in a lot of the openings I did for some of the paper I uh, Yes. Yeah. For also, we also did a couple of uh, things called Freddie Fellini's, the black and white fun piece we did with Freddie that were like silent movies. Yeah, um, and I just had a special bond with Freddie, so that that meant a lot for me because you know it, I kind of feel as though giving Freddie things to do every couple of months kind of like made him feel still relevant and still yeah. part of the world. That's, nice. That's warm
1: and lovely. And no, I was just going to ask you, Sahadi, at that point. So you're working for Vince. What was your schedule that at that time? You know, that during the '90s, early two thousands, in terms of. Where were you based? Did you need to go on the road? Were you at live events? Or were you just TV tapings? What was, it? What was your week like?
0: I was purely based uh, in the studio in, in Stanford, but I wouldn't have to go to the TVs greater, but I would go to the TVs once every two months to maybe do an ID shoot with all the wrestlers backstage. I went on the road a lot to shoot the commercials that we would use for our pay-per-views in the cold opens. We, we would go to LA a lot of times and shoot a spot with The Rock with Brock Lesnar or go go to Miami to shoot spots down there as well. And one thing I like to do in the spots that I shot great, I was inspired by ESPN. Um, At that time, they're doing campaigns, which I call fish out of water. You'd be like in the ESPN offices in Bristol, Connecticut, and you'd see like Roger Clemens dressed as a Yankee, making photocopies in the copy machine. They're doing like everyday kind of jobs. So I always like to take wrestlers and put them in situations in restaurants in a hotel somewhere where they're in their wrestling gear, the fish out of water, yet they're feeling perfectly comfortable and just have a lot of fun with those kind of spots. Those no spots are for people that were not necessarily wrestling fans. we weren't airing during our programming. One thing you always have to realize as somebody who is a creative director is know your audience, a spot that I'm going to play in raw. You know, you're going to, you're going to dedicate that toward the wrestling fan. If this yeah. spot's going to air outside the box, you want to do outside the box thinking and get people's attention. A lot of the spots I did, you wouldn't even know the wrestling spot until you're a half boy or two-thirds of the yeah, way.
1: Yeah. Remember the, 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 the video at Stanford? And, it, you know, it shows us chair shots and somebody coming out an elevator. And I think it winds up when my, uh, Mick Foley saying, they make the world a better place
0: for mankind. Remember that, that one? That, would, that spot aired in the Super Bowl. That was the first ever Super Bowl spot we did. Now, everybody had an agency doing Super Bowl spots, but we were the agency. We, we created that spot ourselves, wrote that spot ourselves, shot that spot. I directed that spot myself. So we were, the, wow. we were our own agency who did that spot. And it's, that was just to give people a little ha ha about wrestling. You know, here you have the Super Bowl audience. You know, a lot of people aren't wrestling fans. And it's like, we want to let them think hey, you know what? They know how to have fun there at WWE. Yeah, did you,
2: did you have a healthy budget, David, to do this stuff?
0: Oh, you? yes, we did. Um <laughs> the budget for the spot though was a fraction of what the agencies were charging, but yeah, I basically had a healthy budget to do these commercial spots, which was nice. How, yeah. did, it,
1: how did it work with it with, with the pay per view songs? Were you providing the songs? How does it work out? The the WWF got asked by record companies to play this song for that month. for? Did you guys pick it? How does that work?
0: Well, when we, when we weren't popular, we couldn't get anybody to do music for us. But when we became popular and mainstream, yes, it was a co-collaborative thing. If we'd want to use a lot of a song, a lot of times we would contact the artist or the label and it would work vice versa as well too. They they would suggest songs to us as well because they knew that we were popular and we were mainstream and and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, <laughs> back then we had the college crowd, we had the 30-something crowd. You know, We had everybody that was watching us on Monday nights.
2: David, you've done a lot of talk about you know, keeping in mind your audience and who is watching the show, what, what what is your ideal scenario? Like, what is your ideal audience for for the kind of packages that you like to produce? What age range are you talking about? What what's your comfort zone? Where do you like to operate?
0: My age range would be anywhere between seventeen and seventy. Right. And what I'd like to do in those spots is just do stuff that was wildly outlandish and creative. All my favorite spots were ones that were outside the box thinking and just completely, you know, a ha-ha or something. You know, let me go back a little bit. on This This will answer your question. But when I first came to WWF back in 1992, Vince McMahon said to me, we were at an event in Regina, Canada. He said, David, what we do here is all about emotion. Now, guys, he was talking about, you know, the characters, baby faces and heels and the storylines that were being told in the ring. But I took that all about emotion to the work that I was doing. So every spot that I would conceive of and write and go out there and shoot, I would want to evoke some kind of emotion in the viewer that was seen in that, whether it was, you know, complete like anger or, 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 or desperation or joy, or maybe get them to think about something in their lives or resonate with something that's happened to them personally. I always try to connect with the viewer on an emotional level. So yeah. I try to use emotion and an array of emotions in every single spot that I did. That's interesting and have
2: you have you always been very hands on with the edit of this stuff as well? would you always be right oh, there okay. yeah,
0: yeah, by hands on well basically i would I would come with the ideas and I would run them by events, and you know most times he would say yes, uh, so then if i if it's my idea, I want to go out there and produce that yeah
1: you know when I, when I first met you sahadi and I realized who you were because i I, mean, I remember the first time I met you, I, I kind of it was on British, or it could have been Wembley. and you walk with me, Norm, and we walked through Wembley and we had to do some sort of signing. But then I realized who you were. I was like, you're the guy that made, like, the My Way video, the WrestleMania 17 video package. You're the guy. You're the guy. And I, I couldn't believe that I popped so much because that is like, whenever I have a couple of drinks and if I ever want anything to uplift me, I will always watch, I will always watch the WrestleMania 17 build-up package to the Rock and Stone Cold. Tell me about that video. Come on. That is the single best. That must be have the most highest hits, highest
0: views. That, for me, is just spine-tingling amazingness. Well, there's not much to say about that. You have the rock and you have Stone Cold and you have a good song. So, I mean, that, that basically was, was the very simple <laughs> point. if you ask me. <laughs> that did not require much thought. It was already there. You had all the materials, you know, for, for the chef to cook, you know, a, a great soup. I just had to, like, you know, cook the soup. But the ingredients are already there. This is the thing, David. Like, see, when you – <laughs>
2: See, when you work... It's like I say that I work in the tele game, and sometimes you you work in some TV shows and then you just feel you've got a certain cast assembled or there's a certain cast there and there's just a kind of magic that happens. And then there's other times where you get... where it's it feels like hard work. It feels like hard work. You know, the sparks are only flying on screen, so you're really having to do a lot of work to make things work yourself. You're having to save a lot of stuff in the edit. Did you feel that when you were making your videos and when you're producing your spots back then that you'd really been blessed with an awful lot of incredibly talented people?
0: Yes, I, I would say so. But also there are times when, you know, things don't go the way you plan. Yeah. You make magic out of something. And, and I'll give you an example. This is back in 1996 when Stone Cold was just on his ascension. And he was having the feud with Bret Hart. And I was tasked with another very creative guy, Chris Chambers, to do some vignettes with Stone Cold Steve Austin in an empty warehouse in Connecticut Whoa. late at night. Yeah, sure you remember those spots, don't you? I love this. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. You're, yep. you're going to like the story. And not to um, bury Steve because he's an incredible talent, but Chris and I thought that he was so good that we didn't write anything for him. We just figured we'd turn the cameras on and just let him go. And yeah. we did that. And we weren't that happy with what was coming out. Steve was cutting more of a traditional promo that he might cut in the ring. You know, it just, we felt like it wasn't working out, Chris and I. So we said, Steve, time out. And Chris and I went to the side. And Chris and I decided, hey, let's just write these one-liners. You know, Bret Hart. And have him say it three times. Pink tights and sparklers. Pink tights and sparklers. What a load of shit. So we basically went from scratch on the spot we took all these one-liners that we wrote in about 20 minutes. We told them this we gave them to Steve to say, hey, say this line, you know, three times in a row, and we'll go in the editor and pick which takes that we liked, and would overlay this video on top of you know uh, of what he was saying. Sometimes we're just looking camera, sometimes these side things. Again, we did not plan this going into the shoot, but we knew that we weren't getting what we wanted to. So it's an act of desperation. You're right. We put some barking dogs in the spot as well, too, that we have in video games, some German Shepherds. Steve comes in there. And he looks at that spot. And he's like, "Oh my God, jeez, you guys are geniuses! I can't believe that." And I don't remember those dogs being there, man. Those <laughs> Boston dogs are great. I don't remember them being there. And it's like, well, that's because they, they were not there we were just trying to like make something out of nothing. And that's that's a thing where I think Chris's idea, you know, w- along with our editing to overlap things and do what we yeah. do there. Lie. just we made something really special that was you know,
2: i love that i love that spot and i talk about it all the time um and i, I didn't realize you were behind that one as well uh, i'm pretty sure that it's the one where stone cold says as well you remind me of a piece of trash and yes. i always talk about this i always talk about it because the amount of times i've thought about that line you remind me of a piece of trash. And I always try and think about the logic here. So he's not saying that he is a piece of trash. He's saying, you remind me of a piece of trash. And then I try and think about what particular piece of trash does he mean when he's (laughs) saying that. It's just a beautiful, it's almost surreal. It has a kind of surreal dreamlike quality to it, that spot, which, and it makes sense. It makes complete sense now when when you explain that you know you were... You were really making something out of something that didn't quite pan out how you expected. Amazing, amazing stuff. David, uh, as a producer, as a how do you feel about the the WWE's current uh, attempts to to make the show continue to fly in the empty arena situation and stuff like that? Have impact you been being I, I, uh, impacted in the same? Impacted in the same, but WWE have taken a, a a strange approach. How do you feel? How do you, because obviously they're the they're the big promotion who have always. I've keep, always had the massive done, crowds. It done, keep it done. They've had the massive crowds. They've had the, um, the massive productions. How do you think they're coping with this situation that they're in?
0: I think both uh, WWE and AEW are hurting big time right now because they're used to the big crowds and, and the talent interacting with the crowds. Yes. I think that, and I don't mean to say this in a bad way, impact, because impact is really on a, a, an ascension, I think, right now with what we're doing. but they have come down to our level by not being able to do things in front of the crowds. Um, They look smaller right now. If you ask me, I Mm. think that our empty arena look that we currently have right now looks better than AEW's. Mm. Um, Raw has a big budget. So theirs looks pretty amazing. I I was told that last Friday they they took the chairs out of their SmackDown tapings. I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but like up until last week, they were showing you all those empty seats. Whereas we didn't show empty seats and why are you showing empty seats? You're reminding viewers that people are not there. Yeah. And they're not there because this pandemic is, is, is happening. You want people to, like, forget about that right away. You're turning to entertainment to take your mind off the sadness and tragedy that's going on in the world. So when we did our empty to look, we had no seats there. And we had a really cool screen and some good lighting. I just got off the phone with our lighting guy, Dan Real. That's why I'm a little late for this podcast because we were talking ways that we can enhance it when we do our next set tapings in a couple of weeks. And I'm really excited about the way we look right now. It's almost like they've fallen down to our level. And if you were a non-wrestling fan and you didn't know the difference between the mega superstars yep. and our superstars, you would say, hey, you know what? These three are all the same. They're on the same level. You Good know, point. it's like one doesn't – one shouldn't cost more than the other. Yeah. And their budgets are so extreme with what they – their overhead is so extreme for both those companies and they're not getting the revenue that they normally get, where our overhead is way small. We can thrive and survive in this kind of era. We can actually kick their butts, I think, creatively going forward in this era right now, just because they have come down to our level by not being able to be in those massive arenas that they're used to being in.
2: David, do you feel quite creatively inspired by the challenge of this as well?
0: Yes, I do. Always looking at ways to improve things and do things better. That's why I just got the phone call at the lighting guy and how we can enhance our look going forward. But yeah, I mean, just being with this company right now, working with Eric Tompkins, who's such a creative guy, it's just, you know, he's inspiring me a lot. I'm inspiring him a lot. Um, we haven't even scratched the surface of what we can do just yet. And it's very exciting to know that, know that what we're doing right now, even when we do come back to having crowds in, in, in arenas, hopefully sooner than later, that we might be discovering some new things now that we will apply to And use going forward and say, oh, yeah, we sorted that kind of style back when we had uh, empty arenas because we were forced to. But guess what? That's kind of a cool thing. So there are things that we haven't even uncovered yet that I think would be using in our toolbox five, 10, 20 years down the road.
2: Yeah, because there's a few things, a few things I I noticed that I liked. And when I watched WrestleMania, when they went ahead with WrestleMania, which I think everybody was... You know, maybe you would have been less shocked by it, David, because you know Vince, you've
0: known Vince. But I
2: think a lot of people were shocked by it. But there were certain things in that I found really interesting, um, like being able to hear the wrestlers talk to each other. The fact there was actually dialogue within matches was something that, you know, you're not used to hearing What what you're used to in a wrestling match how it's normally produced as you don't hear what the wrestlers are saying. You don't want to hear them calling any spots or anything like that. So it was interesting to hear moments of conversation between the wrestlers. and I think I would miss it. I think I would miss that being a creative option going forward. So there might be new... New angles on things, I think.
0: No, absolutely. And getting to the point that you just said, one thing that I learned from our last tapings is that there were some matches where the wrestlers were doing a lot of talking and trash talking during the match. Yeah. Where sometimes when you had Johnny Swinger outside the ring who was saying a lot of funny stuff, he was cheering on, you know, his his guy that was in the ring wrestling. Um, I want the talent to do more of that next time we do our tapings in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I want to hear the referees more. Referees are there to enforce rules. I want to hear them yelling. You gotta separate. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. We yeah. don't. I don't think we heard our, our, the referees talk enough and enforce the the rules enough. And a of tape things. They will be doing that going forward. So as you said, yeah, those conversations are interesting. The trash talking is interesting because there is storytelling in that yeah. as well. All right.
1: Was there ever any moments, um, David, when you worked for WWF when Vince was pissed off at you or was unhappy? At your work where you had to restart everything. No, I'll do it again. Was there any? Did that ever happen at your time there?
0: Oh, great! Oh, great! Oh, <laughs> uh, not that he was pissed off, but the spot you mentioned in the office of, of Titan Towers, the corporate headquarters that aired in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, for the sequel the next year, we had a spot lined up at Rodney Dangerfield. And it was a very, very, I think, entertaining spot that never got shot. Mm. We had the, we had a, a Hollywood soundstage that they'd shot a very famous movie on. We had the set designer from the movie Armageddon who was doing all of these special effects for us. We basically built Roddy, Roddy Dangerfield's mansion that Vince's wrestlers were going to, you know, take by storm and destroy. We were going to kill Rodney Dangerfield. Oh and God. it was two days before the shoots. And I got a call from Kevin Dunn that Vince wanted the, the shot canceled because he wanted to go in a different direction. And I'm just like, Kevin, it's two days away. We've been working on this for weeks. I said, we're going to owe, you know, 90% of the budget. It's already spent. And yeah. Kevin's like, Vince doesn't care. He wants, to, he wants to do something different. Because one of the wrestlers got in his head. I think, um, I won't mention a name, but I think one of the wrestlers didn't feel uh, he or she was featured enough in the spots. Uh, you know, wow. and didn't didn't like it because of that, and got in Vince's head right before the shoot and talked him out of it. Damn, now, not that, not that Vince was mad, but that really crushed my heart. That was just like, wow, we're yeah, yeah. on the yeah. precipice of doing something really creative, really good that people That's would talk about as well.
1: What's that? And it's well, different, and it appeals again to that that audience that I've never seen wrestling. If they saw that, they yeah. you know they're never going to skip. they're never going oh, to yeah. skip the channel if they see that. No, of course not.
2: David, what, what wrestlers have you found the most inventive and, you know, just the, just the quickest and easiest to work with? I don't mean easiest to work with just because they'll do what they're told very easily, but what wrestlers have you found had the best ideas and were on your wavelength? Yeah, and, there's, you know,
0: there are so many. Uh, I can't begin to mention names. because I'm going to upset some people. I'll, I'll just mention one to start with, and you guys can ask me about some others, but The Undertaker was great to work with. Right. Because every shoot we did was at night. And it was in a warehouse somewhere in Connecticut, in an abandoned warehouse. And I'd call him up and say, hey, Mark, you got to shoot this Thursday. He goes, I know. Sunset to uh, sunrise. I just said, yep. <laughs> and uh, I'd say, we got a trailer for you. We have some, a PA to get you food. He goes, no, I don't need anything. Uh, I said, well, what do you need? He goes, a case of Coors Light and a bottle of Jack Daniels. Ah, there you go. And <laughs> he was just staying on his trailer. He was, he just, I guess I'm not answering a question. He was my most favorite guy to work with because he was so low maintenance. So yeah, yeah. on his trailer Knocking on his door you know he said every two minutes two minutes before we need him come knock on the door we're knocking the door sure enough he would be there right on set hands up rest in peace boom explosion behind him he'd look at the uh, at me and said how was that david and i said good and he goes help me for the next take i'm like 20 minutes 30 minutes he goes just come knock on my trailer and he never once complained never once complained i, I worked with him about 20 different times never once complained
2: Excellent. Did you did you catch the Boneyard match at WrestleMania? Did you catch his? You binge? know
0: what? I did not watch WrestleMania this year, and I don't watch. I have to admit this. I'm going to piss a lot of people off, but I don't watch much um, of Raw at, at all anymore. No, I it would, it would be it, so it would be interesting
2: for you to take a look at the Boneyard match because yeah. I think you know
0: JB had a bit involvement in
2: that. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: No, but is that the one with Taker and AJ Styles? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. heard that. What I, what I what heard happened, that was, was involved in Chelsea, was in that. Well, yeah, I, I, do, I do want to see that because we're, we've been doing, Eric's been doing st- stuff like that, uh, you know, not on that scale or that budget for the past year, especially with the Undead Realm. So I do want to see that because I heard it, it was amazing. But going back to one reason why I didn't watch WrestleMania, why I haven't watched wrestling that much is I think that there needs to be a paradigm shift in the way the product is presented. Because when I left there in 2003, it's still pretty much the same formula. You open up with an in-ring promo somebody cuts it off, it sets up a match for later on that night, then you have some yep. filler matches. I think the format needs to be completely changed. And the, the genre needs to be presented in a whole new way. That's what we did in the Attitude Era. We presented everything in a whole completely different way. We, from the way we presented our talent to the, the, the collaboration with the musicians and, and, and the songs, to the, the staging, the screens, the setups, everything, you know, taking the cameras backstage yeah. and shooting real stuff that was happening backstage. A lot of times it went backstage back then. If you notice, you'd see talent that was out of character because they didn't know we were going backstage. We just said, hey, let's just do that. Yeah. And now when you go backstage, it's so choreographed and so staged and so fake that it feels wow. But they've been doing the same formula for 20 some years, they need to change that. And that's one reason why I've lost interest in the genre. It needs another paradigm shift in the way Yeah, but it. It's production just it inside the ring, but everything else that, that happens to the point of them getting into the ring.
2: Yeah, but it is a production issue. I mean, this is the thing, it is absolutely a production issue, I think. Because when people talk about, you hear people talking a lot about how the Attitude Era was cool, how the wrestlers were cool back then. Yes. Um, how the stories were cooler back then. And I think actually in truth, the show was cool. It was the show that was cool. It was Raw that was cool. It was the show. It wasn't so much The Wrestlers, it was how the show felt. It was the pyro at the start. It was the- Because packages. a lot
0: of it was real. It wasn't as scripted as it is right now. Right now it's yeah. reduced and overwritten. Back then you'd give talent bullet points to go out there to cut a promo. Just bullet points. Now we have a page and a half long script that they got to remember and memorize. And when you do that, as an audience member, you feel as though they're, you know, trying to remember something that they're supposed to say as opposed to really coming from the heart what they are saying. I, a lot of stuff was more real back then than it is right now. I think everything, again, is too overproduced and overscripted, over-scripted and micromanaged. I mean, back in the 90s, we, we went from the cartoony characters of the 80s to making them feel real. You know, characters like Stone Cold Steve Austin doing things that every, everybody wants to do. Or everybody who works for somebody else wants to be able to yeah. give the finger to their boss and tell them to fuck off and still not get fired, still have their job. Right. um it doesn't feel quite as real anymore and I don't, I don't know if that's good or bad but you know i think judging by what the numbers are showing you it's not a good thing i think when things feel real that's when you get the audience like i remember when the whole stone cold phenomenon was happening i would go across the country and people would be like oh you work for wwe yes i do uh i know less than fake but stone cold and vince they really hate each other don't they i'm like <laughs> oh yeah they really do and that's when you know <laughs> Oh, you yeah, had them hooked. That you had yeah. them hooked. We need more of that. We need to make things feel real again. What right. made you leave WWE? Um, to be honest, it was getting boring working there. What happened greater was, you know, the company becomes so big. When we started the, and I'm just going to say the term again, there. but basically when we were on the bottom and then rising up, it's like there were a handful of us that did that, that were part of that, that we built that. We felt, we felt, we felt proud of that. A handful of people, I would say. Uh, myself being one, one of the five and then we became so successful and it went corporates you know then it went public all these outsiders were coming in all these big time executives from elsewhere that were telling us you know that they know better and what to do you how to, how to make things you know better and it became too structured for me it became too corporate it became too sanitized so it wasn't as fun to work there anymore. Instead of me just going out and doing a spot on my own, like the legend spot with Gorilla Monsoon and Freddie Blassett, you all mentioned earlier, I had to run my scripts by layers and layers of people. And it just, it, everything just got watered down. Mm. And it wasn't that fun place to be anymore. I couldn't be creative. So I just decided to leave. And, the, and did, did TNA approach you or did, did they realize? I took, I took a year and a half off. And right. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, I traveled cross country, sold my house, uh, wrote a book, and Jeff Jarrett, contacted me and said, hey, David, I heard you haven't been in uh, TV for a while. I said, nope. because I heard you going cross country a lot too. I said, yep. because have you been in Nashville? And I said, no. He goes, <laughs> well, you know what? Market, make that a market and you stop. Why don't you come on by? I'd love you to work with me. And I came there and, you know, between Jeff and his, his father, Jerry, who I really connected with, I really connected with, with Jerry Jarrett. We became we very close. I decided to join Impact for three months to get them to the monthly pay-per-views in 2004. They were switching from that weekly Wednesday model from the, to the Fox Sports Net model, and then to the monthly pay-per-view model. So I was there to help launch Victory Road. And there were so many characters that, that I really, I saw the passion on the talent that worked there behind the scenes, and, 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 and the wrestlers as well. I saw people like Abyss, and Chris Daniels, and Frankie Kazarian, and, and Coach D'Amour, uh now my boss, and how much <laughs> they care, and what great people they were. And I'm just like, my B game for them is like better than anything they've ever had before. Because they didn't yeah. have any kind of budget. So I didn't want to leave these people after my three months. So I kind of like felt like was a, a small, you know, but growing new family. And that's what made me stay. And I've stayed through the highs and the lows.
1: Because I, I always remember, um, I, I, I remember seeing watching TNA and I remember the, 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 the image of the satellite. You know what I'm talking yes. about? To, oh, yeah. So open to that, T-N-A. This is
0: T-N-A. it's professional wrestling. Boom, yes. And the voice of God, Barry Sky, who sounded like James Earl Jones, yes. But I'm sure he
1: done one voice, he said my name once and I nearly came in my pants when he mentioned, next week, Grado is going to be on Impact. And I was like, oh my
0: God, yes. <laughs> hey, If we can resign you, wait. You see the packages that uh, Eric and I will do for you. We'll do some hey, great oh, stuff. You get well, you signed. Well, I've been talking to Eric back
1: and forth. It could be, it could be coming. It could be coming, Scott. DeMore, if you're listening, Scott,
0: Scott, Scott.
2: <laughs> well, l- listen. I'll to
0: th- on the good word to Scott. I think when it comes to talent, he he values Eric's opinion more than mine. But uh, I'll definitely talk to Scott about that.
2: David, thanks so much for coming on the show. Will you come back and speak to us another time? Because we'd love to catch up. with you see how impact's going? And we just I would
0: love to come back again. Uh, thank you for having me. This is my first podcast ever, so uh, you know you popped my cherry. I hope I didn't uh, let you guys down. No, too. you
2: did. You did great. And honestly, having somebody, I just want to say, like, genuinely here, genuinely want to say um, a personal thank you to you for some great. You gave me some great moments when I was, when I was younger uh, watching. WWF, so thanks for that. You definitely made me feel the emotion that you were that right. you were looking for there, so thanks so much for
0: that, David. I and that, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much for saying that. That really I'm, does.
2: I'm
1: very much summer myself. So many memories have been created through for for your work, and it was always a pleasure to work with you, David, and get a few beers after the show and stuff like that. So hopefully I'll, I'll see you somewhere down the road. Hopefully, fingers crossed, because you're a great guy, and I'm sure you're. this will be the start of your podcast career. Where you'll be on fucking everybody's podcast.
2: Yeah, everybody's. <laughs>
0: Thanks so much, David. Stay safe. Will do. You guys stay safe as well, please. Stay Aye, safe. Stay safe. Okay. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you, guys. Thank Great. you so much.
2: Thank you, man. Right, Thanks so papers. much.
0: Thank, Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. You, man. David.
1: pleasure. David. Thank, Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Well, sorry again if I'm sorry. I don't know. I mean, you, you said to me now and again, you know, grid was here the not and all this. You know, you know, I like to come on here. I think I've loosened up a wee bit.
2: No, you've been a good laugh tonight, mate. Think sir. You've been good form, mate. You've you been good form, mate. You? Well,
1: you were in good form with Sahadi, mate. You know all that producing shit. You're always doing that comedy. You know that that on fucking uh, Oh. And
2: that
1: Microsoft Paint and Adobe Photoshop and all that shit.
2: I man. love talking to that guy. Um, I love talking to that guy. I, th- I think that's one of our best interviews we've done, yeah. mate. Because... Uh, and I also, I think, what an, what an incredible guest they have. That's an incredible guest you sourced for us there, Grado.
1: Thanks very much, my you man. You
2: sourced that. And I might say... I might have a go at you and rib you about going on about TNA all the time and all that, but you made some connections there, mate, that admit, you'll never fucking, you'll never
1: lose any connections. That's mate. what I'm saying. That was one of the biggest things that I took away from TNA was being muckered up with these kind of guys. Him and Keith Mitchell, you always see Keith Mitchell getting brought, brought up. You know, listen to his stories. We used to go to a, play, there was a place in Orlando. In fact, it was anywhere we'd done, we'd done a show. After the show, we'd find a wee bit of the hotel outside, build a fire and call it the Red River Saloon. And it would just be all the old producers and editors sitting, telling their stories, smoking their hash. And I used to fucking love it, man. And yeah, I used to get them to, and obviously, I did a wee bit of color to it. I'd come in and go, who owns a gun? Where the fuck do you get guns for? You know, someone comes in my house and all this fucking shit. I got get all fucking when You know, fucking linies. <laughs> You dumb Scottish fuck. What the fuck are you even doing here anyway, man? But I remember fucking Ed the one time sent to me it, and it really broke my heart. He went, why the fuck they booking you? you draw drawing no fucking money. I know what your flat costs. I know how much you earn. How much you making this fucking company? I was like, I'm away to my bed before I punch fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: got know the point? Well. You know the point? It's a, mate it's a it's a circus it's everybody's playing their part everybody's playing their part uh but it speaks a lot listen i say something great right it's, it says a lot for you as a person that you've you know you're asking some of these guys that you've met over the years and stuff like where well, you come on the show and have a chat with us and stuff like that? and they're always really happy to come on and they're always really happy to talk to you so it says a lot about the impression you made upon them when you when you were earlier. there so that's something you can that's something you can go to bed happy thinking about the fact that all oh, these guys are Always very keen to talk to you, and always very keen to catch up with you, so you've, you've been doing something right, mate.
1: Oh, fuck, that's a, such a good emotional point, mate. That's brilliant.
2: No, you're welcome,
1: great, mate. But I still hope we beat you at the
2: awards. <laughs> <laughs> <They're laughs> wouldn't they want it any other way, mate. wouldn't they want it any other anyway, way. Anyway, mate, I hope we should sit next to each other. Mate, there's the fucking awards on their own. Oh, fuck's <gasps> sake. <I> forgot. <laughs> it was meant to be in June, mate. It's meant to be next month. It's cancelled. What's the point? What's the point no, even nominating us, I know? I
1: don't want to win. That's the winning listener of the week on this. It's fucking nothing. It's
2: like one, it's like, uh, nor it like great though. It's like winning this league.
1: <laughs> 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 hey guys. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Daft.
2: Good night, everybody. Off. Up the <laughs> road.
1: Next week, I shall say. I shall sell Up the road, road. Eleven. Up your Eleven. Road. Eleven. <laughs> Eleven.